across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. Happy Friday, Rockstar Nation. Hope everybody has a bombastic weekend plan full of listing appointments, buyer appointments, whatever. Go out and make some money. Man, we have some great things going on here. Pat Hyben interviews real estate rock stars. Everything is rocking. I'm getting private messages people are sending me. I'm getting some voice messages. I don't know if you know this, but on hybendigital.com, there's a little button on there that says Ask Pat, and you could actually record a message to ask me the questions. And I've been reading them, but, you know, I think I'm going to start figuring out how to play the voices, maybe. I might have to put a disclosure on it. It says your voice will be used (laughs) for the show. But listen, I think I'll change that uh, and do that so you guys and I can... uh, highlight some of your guys voices on here asking these questions but for now i'm going to read them so anyways been getting some of those and i've been getting some you know reach outs on facebook uh, people are starting to go on the closed group pat hyben interviews real estate rock stars and make some comments and thank you for everybody doing that our downloads are up we're we're cranking out a a, a very good start to this month so I'm excited about that. Doing a lot of things here. Uh, my wife and I went and looked at houses over this past weekend uh, in a suburb of Baltimore that we that, that I grew up in, basically. And, um, you know, we put an offer on a house. You know, here's an interesting thing. Uh, so we decided, right, because I've lived there for 50 years that I, you know, I wanted one particular neighborhood, right? We're downsizing. I wanted a smaller house. I wanted a big lot and I wanted uh, a certain neighborhood. And there was uh, 208 houses. In that neighborhood, not a single one for sale. There was one for sale, but we didn't like the lot. It was a corner lot, real small. And uh, I was like, damn, there's nothing for sale in here. So I sent a personal letter, handwritten address, uh, regular stamp, handwritten return address with my Folly Beach, South Carolina address uh, for the return address and a very personal letter, right? So my wife, Kim, and I are looking for a house, da 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 and guess how many responses I got? Seven. I got seven responses. We looked at four houses. You know, the other three were like, why don't you drive by the outside and let me know? And two were too big for us. And one had a pool and I don't want a pool. There's not enough, in my opinion, not enough warm weather in Maryland to uh, to make a pool worthwhile. So anyways, we went and looked. We put an offer on one. We'll see where it goes. And that, that's exciting to be a buyer again. That's exciting to be a buyer again, definitely. So let me get to some of this stuff here. Pat, I'm a huge fan and regular listener. I always smile at the end when you say, keep rocking. I play drums in an 80s rock cover band. Talk about some My Sharona. I'm sure you guys play that. I'm uh, I'm paraphrasing now. Anyway, so I play drums in an 80s rock cover band and play at clubs two to three times a month. I always wonder how different people interpret what you mean when you say that. Wow. You know, I don't know. Rock star has become like a uh, slang word or whatever for someone that's killing it, right? Like someone who's like a rock star. They're a rock star actor. They're a rock star 
real estate agent. I hope it's um, understood by people. I think it is. And, you know, I don't think like people think like, oh, rock star, he's like a Steven Tyler and like addicted to drugs or whatever or, you know, what have you. I don't think that that's the perception. Anyways, it's interesting. What do you think of when you think of rock star? Let me ask the audience. So anyways, thanks. Thanks for being a fan. I appreciate that. That's from uh, Vince Grant. Thanks, Vince. Uh, I got a Mary Margle. Pat, do your guests do a one-step or a two-step listing appointment? Do they meet buyers at houses or do they have to meet them at the office? What do you recommend? Okay, two-part question, I would say. Um, you know, I'm learning this actually by putting together this product that I've been doing on listing appointment. Some do two-step. Aaron West is a top agent with PMZ Real Estate in California, and he always does two steps i don't think it hurts i think the one step saves time and is more efficient but the, i don't think the two step ever hurts i don't think people will actually cancel and not list with you between your first and second step especially if you do one on a tuesday and the next on a wednesday or one on a tuesday and the next on a thursday uh, don't leave too much time but it doesn't hurt especially if you're a new agent you know there's nothing wrong with the two stepper Eventually, you want to get your skills honed so that you can do the one step. And with the office or meeting, I think that a lot of agents like to think that they get their uh, buyers to the office just like they like to think that they get all their buyers to sign buyer broker agreements. I think that's BS. I think at the end of the day, you take what you can get. If somebody wants to meet you at a house, you meet them, you hustle. Certainly, you could pre-qualify them just because you're pop-tarting. And meeting them at a house doesn't mean you're not pre-qualifying and, and, and not saying, hey, I only show houses unless I can prove that you're qualified. You might even say for security purposes, I need to make sure you can afford this house or get all your all of your information. You can understand. So I think that you could do. I don't think it hurts to meet people at houses. I think in an ideal scenario, yeah, you'd like to get them to the office and have a face to face where you're looking at photos on a computer. But I think that's harder to do nowadays because you know, we don't have that control where they, they, they used to not be able to get that. <laughs> and and now they can get it. So they can do that on their own without you. So, yeah. I mean, if you can get them in the office, do it. But bear in mind that it's uh, it's hard to do. And then I got one here. Philly Chi One. Pat, I sold 21 homes last year. I needed $68,000. All of these are buyers. I hear you say that listings are the name of the game. And I should become a listing agent. How do I do this? Should I go out on my own? Uh, Phil Lee, or Phil, whatever your name is. Number one, yes, you should be a listing agent. Yes, become a listing agent. Uh, number two, go out on your own. No, don't go out on your own if, if you did uh, 21 buyer deals and they all came from being on a team as a buyer agent. I mean, uh, it sounds like I'm assuming that none of those 21 were your own deals. I think you need to learn how to number one, get your own deals with sphere of influence. Because quite frankly, if you did that, you would have had some listings in that 21. I think it's highly unlikely that you're working your sphere of influence and getting 21 buyers out of your sphere of influence and no listings. So if, if your 21 deals came from buyer leads that your agent provided for you, maybe go to your agent and say, you could see that I'm doing well and I should, uh, and can you make, can you get me on listing appointments? Can I become a listing agent? Learn how to list first, learn how to work your sphere first, and then consider going out on your own. And 68 grand in bed, you know, that's like uh, four grand a house. That's a decent commission. 
I don't know what your split is, but you know, it's a it's not you don't have a bad gig now. You know, if you can make that uh, 40 deals or even 30 deals, you could probably make a hundred. Yeah, you could definitely make a hundred thousand. Thirty, they make a hundred twenty thousand. Um, so think about that. Anyways, do those two things: ask to be a listing agent, work your sphere, and uh, train how to be a listing agent. Let your your team leader teach you and start working your sphere at least an hour a day because some listings will come as a result of that for sure listen uh we got some great shows coming up we got uh, today we got tom rubens and we're going to talk about self-discipline going to talk about accountability some good stuff there next week i got monday i got naomi finley now naomi she's cool she has a belief that i actually am convinced after talking to her is a good belief too she believes that the stager should actually not be a person you pay 50 bucks for to go out and stage a house because the stager needs to be accountable kind of what i'm talking uh, to tom about accountable for the feedback so if you're getting feedback that says you know this is terrible this is why i'm not buying the house doesn't it make sense that the that the stager should be the one getting that feedback or the, the one talking to that agent, the one talking to that seller about the feedback so that she could either say to the seller, I told you so, or that the seller can then say, how come you didn't tell me that? You must suck as a stager, you know? So there's some sort of pressure, some sort of accountability there. And Naomi's even saying that, she, that the stager should be like a portion of the commission, like in a partnership with the agent it's part of the agent's uh, responsibility so if the house never sells because they did a crappy job staging it then then they don't get paid which which i think is a great accountability too anyways i'll save the rest for then then wednesday we got blair myers i don't know if you know blair myers but he is openly gay very proud of it and uh the number one agent in the bible belt and he he has just taken it by storm He's, he stars with nick cannon in this uh who's the host of america's got talent in the show on oxygen which is uh, about a personal assistant so him and his personal assistant are in this show it's called like a boss dude was on honey boo boo i mean he's um he's fun and we had a very inspirational conversation i'm very excited to release that and then uh, this friday we got i got uh, richard nasimi and uh richard nasimi is a a major player in new york city real estate so if you ever wonder what it's like to sell these apartments in new york city or the, the you know in these high-rise buildings uh great glimpse at that what that lifestyle and that real estate world is like I really enjoyed that interview so anyways guys listen enjoy tom the day have a great friday and i'll talk to you next week okay rock star nation boy we have a great guest today i have tom rubens from the accountability factor and now tom has uh, an interesting background because he like you and i are is was a high producing real estate agent with a high producing team and uh, we're going to talk about some really great stuff here. I'm so excited. So without further ado, Tom, welcome to Pat Hyben Interviews Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Pat. Thanks so much for having me on the air. So, Tom, why don't you give us a little background about yourself so we can get to know you better? Well, like uh, many of you, I, I've survived without a paycheck for a very long time. I've actually never really had a job per se. I've just always figured out 
different ways to make money. I, I started out as a commodities trader and then put together a group of investors and we bought a minor league basketball team, which I ran for a few years. Then a couple minor league baseball teams later, I got into real estate, uh, mostly as an investor. And uh, after losing my shorts in that, I ended up going to the dark side, getting my license and becoming an agent, which I did for I don't know, six or seven years, and the last three, we were just, we were probably selling 300, north of 300 houses a year. And with and Obviously, anyone who knows the industry knows I couldn't have done that by myself, so I had a very, very strong team helping me. Okay, okay, cool. So you were doing 300-some sales a year, and wh where was that business coming from? My primary clients were Fannie and Freddie. I was uh, mostly an REO agent. I did some regular, what I call just normal real estate, but most of my business was focused on the REO world. And, and when, so, when, when was this? This was, uh, uh, the timing was pretty good, actually. It was pretty much 06 to 2011, 2012. Okay. And so you just walked away from all that, right? You know, I did, Pat, and I, I, it was, it, I was making money, and my team was strong. I just wasn't happy. It wasn't what I wanted to do, and the more, I, the more time I spent actually looking at myself and what made me happy and what was keeping me from being happy, actually, at that time, it was all about the work that I did. I didn't enjoy it, and it, wasn't, it, it, didn't, it didn't speak to the core of who I really am. So I sold the business to uh, one of my, my lead agents. And he's very happy. He, he's, he's excellent at what he does. And he has, as the industry has changed, his focus has, has, has changed also. And he's prime, most of his business now, I think, is traditional real estate. Really? Okay. So 2011. So that was five years ago. So what, how do you sell something like that? What type of deal did you work out with him? We worked out a deal uh, uh, over time. Basically, he paid me. He was able to pay me out of, uh, out of revenue. So it wasn't like he had to come up with cash, and I didn't need the cash. I, I, for me, that was perfect. I, I wanted something that would allow me to generate revenue without uh, having to work so that I could focus on doing things that brought me joy, which is what I do now, which is coaching. So he, he paid you off gross commissions, like a certain percent off the top? What we did, we've actually uh, adjusted it over time, but initially it was a, he had to pay me a flat amount minimum per month and then at the end of each year the idea was to uh, increase it assuming we reached certain uh, reachable goals hmm. and then over time we've adjusted it to now he just pays me uh, on a monthly fee. So is that monthly fee in perpetuity? I mean is that, is no. that ever going to stop? Well, actually, good question. It started to be a 10-year deal. That was initially what we did. But it, it, we've adjusted it now, and it's much more uh, directly related to sales, and it is in perpetuity, as long as he's in the business. And if he leaves the business, I have the option to take it back. So do you get paid if he sells his mother's house, or is it just on the Fannie and Freddie deals? Just on the REO stuff. Okay. Okay. So basically you are collecting money for setting up the REO accounts and getting them running for five years. And then if he were to screw up and lose those accounts or something, then then you wouldn't get paid on them anymore. So you're correct. Okay. Now, are you involved at all in that? You know, I, uh, I, I know. was involved, uh, 
until fairly recently, I was a little bit more involved, actually, than I even wanted to be. One of the reasons was that uh, we had an office in Chicago. We were, uh, the, the business was basically the Dayton-Cincinnati markets. And I don't know, maybe, maybe in, I can't remember when it was. It might have been 2009 or 2010. I opened an office in Chicago. I'm from Chicago, and I, and I, I, I know the market really well. And I, it was a great excuse to go back there and, and, and on a very regular basis. So I was in Chicago a couple of weeks out of every month. And then, uh, so I sort of had to stay involved in the Chicago piece uh, for longer than, uh, than I thought, but now I'm not involved there either. Hmm. And, and, and so you own the brokerage, right? I mean, that's, that's what they I, require, right? Well, right. The brokerage was in my name in Illinois. I, I was the broker of record in Illinois, and he was the broker here in Ohio. Okay. And then, so you still own your brokerage, essentially. Yes. And, and run them through that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I still have my license in, in Ohio and Illinois. I just don't really use. I mean, yeah. yeah. But you you had to, right? Because the yes. accounts, the accounts are attached to those. Because I'm, I, you know, I understand because I have those accounts as well. And uh, yeah, they're attached to a person in a brokerage. You can, if yep. you switch names on them. It could get kind of funny and they could, you know. Yes. In fact, well, you're absolutely right, Pat, because we were, before we, we formed our own brokerage, which was long before I sold it, we had been with uh, with Remax. And so if you've ever done that before, you know what the, what, what it's like to switch brokerages when you have REO accounts with Fannie and Freddie. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And it's not always successful. I mean, I Chris Gouldy, who... You know, I've, I've known for a long time was an agent in Maryland, and he he tried to switch brokerage, and it, and it was a disaster, and he lost basically most of his accounts because of that. Yeah, it I I, I actually did it uh, twice. The first time I did it was from Keller Williams to Remax, and then the final time was when we just opened up our own brokerage. It is um, it's a challenge. I wouldn't have done it. Uh, I mean, I got all the I put all the pieces in place before I actually switched. I didn't just one day decide uh, to make that move. I mean, I made sure that I dealt with the people that I needed to talk to at both Fannie and Freddie, let them know we were doing that and also let them know if it wasn't okay, we weren't going to make the move. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, and, and, but yes, I've heard horror stories of, of, of losing those accounts. When I've heard it though, each time I, I heard about that problem, it seemed to be that the broker that you were leaving did have the opportunity to screw it up. And to their credit, neither Keller Williams nor Remax did that. I mean, we had a great relationship with them. We left with great relationships. So neither one, I mean, I, that was the first place I went. Look, I'm thinking of leaving. Uh, I want to make sure that you're not going to stand in the way. And uh, n neither of them did. Yeah, and, and try to keep it. Yes, which they could have. They could have. It's, it's like a taxi medallion. You know what I mean? It's quite valuable. Absolutely. Which is why, yeah, you know, I never, I would still be at uh, Keller Williams if they hadn't allowed me to move. And, and same thing with Remax. So, um, yeah, it, it took, a, we, we, our relationships within the community were always strong. So it wasn't like, you know, someone was just out to get us or anything. It, it, we, they, they were very cool. I mean, they weren't happy because they were certainly losing a lot of volume, but uh, they were cool about it. 
That's great. That's great. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that worked out. So you walked away from the business. You were doing 300 plus deals, you, you, you know, which takes a lot of guts. I mean, you're just, hey, that's a lot of business to walk away from. Um, it sounds like you got, you know, a decent deal, but it also sounds like maybe, you know, I know personally with REOs, the profit is not huge compared to traditional listings and, and that oh, sort yeah. of thing. So you can't be making a killing no. off of your residual up from him, I'm guess absolutely. I'm guessing five, I'm guessing two to ten thousand, something like that. You're absolutely right. It's not a uh, and the business has changed. So even if I even if I'd stayed in the business, I certainly wouldn't be doing three hundred properties a year now because in in those three markets there isn't that much business. I mean, there's there's enough business to survive. I don't think there's the kind of business to really thrive, even with those two big accounts in two different states. It's a great foundation for him. I mean, because the buyer business, right? Like someone calls off one of those foreclosures and he gets to work to buyers and that sort of thing. Yes. And that was really, uh, to be a little critical of myself, that was one area where I did not shine. I did not do as good a job as I could have, and I knew I could have, Mm. with the residual piece of that, which is all the buyers that are calling off the signs. Yeah. and, And I think, you know, I, I, you know, there's no one to blame but myself. I did, I didn't do as well on that because I wasn't enjoying what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, you hated it. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. So it's, it's more of a, it's professional. It's more left brained. It's more organizational and office type work. The REOs on the listing end, but when you get into the emotions and the pop tart showing houses and things yep. like that, it, it it's a whole nother dynamic. It's a whole nother different type of job. So, so you walked away from this thing, which is honorable that you just said, hey you know, I'm unhappy because I think a lot of people go through life and they don't decide if they're happy or not, right? They don't decide, hey, you know, do I really like what I do? Especially in our game because, you know, the commissions are so fat, you know, there's so much money. It's like, it's so hard to walk away from hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, right? Well, let's be clear. I didn't walk away from millions of dollars because I wasn't making millions of dollars to begin right. with. Right. But I walked away from a very nice living, and and I walked away into uh, darkness. I didn't know what was going to be there. <laughs> uh, I had no idea. It wasn't like I had something all set up to just fall into. But, but Pat, that's pretty much been my MO. I have never, I've never had a job. I've just always figured out different ways to make money. So I was confident that that, that would happen. And I also had a pretty good – I probably took a year – to do in terms of revenue, I took a year to do just about nothing wow. in terms of making money. And then I, mean, I would say I, in that year, I kind of just explored what it was that I really wanted to do next. And I was just confident that I'd come up with something. I always knew that I want that, that it would end up being some form of coaching. I didn't know what that was going to look like. But I knew that was going to be my next step because I really didn't. When I left, I, I thought, you know, I've built a number of businesses. It's it, I love the process, but I'm done. I don't want to do that now. Now I want to just help other people do it. And I didn't know what form that would take. Yeah. How do you go from being a real estate agent to be, being a coach? And I know you coach real estate agents. You coach non-real estate and Basically, you just coach all entrepreneurs. How'd you start out? Like just raising a flag? Well, with great difficulty, you know, just like starting your real estate business. I would say most of us, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, didn't make too much money that first year in the business. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty steep learning curve and you got to build some credibility and you have to really build your brand. 
And so in the beginning, what I did was I kind of went back to square one. And I said, okay, I know I know what I know, but what I, do, I don't know what I don't know. And I really want, since I, I didn't want to just be the kind of coach that call, you called up and, and said, yeah, well, Pat, you know, just stick to it, man. You got it. I know you're, I know, you know, build you up and send you on your way. I had to have, I had to have a, uh, my own way of doing things and I had to have some background. So I just, I mean, I, I acted like I didn't know what I was doing, started from ground zero and went to, you know, uh, coaches training, but in more general, it had nothing to do with real estate or even necessarily entrepreneurship. And that took about a year. And then I thought, okay, now I've kind of got my, I have found, I know how I want to present myself and how I can best help people. Mm. I learned what I thought were the, and this took a lot longer than just that year, but it took me a while to figure out what my skills were, what it was about me that could help people. You know, what, what skills I brought to the party. So for me, that was listening, which is kind of ironic since this is a, a radio interview and I got to do all the talking. But as a, as a coach, <laughs> yeah. as a coach I, I spend most of my time listening and then mirroring back to my clients what I've heard. And then we collaborate on what the next steps are. Yeah, and, and asking questions, I'm sure. And then yes, listening to absolutely. the answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, got to, I've got to ask the question and then shut up. You know, and, and hear what you have to say and not only hear what you have to say on the surface, but what you're saying and what you're not saying and how that reflects on, on what you need to do next. Uh, I find that my, my primary clients are and, and, and real estate agents are quintessentially entrepreneurial. I mean, everything about being a real estate agent is entrepreneurial. You do not get a paycheck. You don't earn a dime unless you actually earn it. You don't get to cash any check that you haven't earned. And, and as you get to the level that you're at, you, it becomes, you realize fairly quickly that you're not going to be able to earn the kind of money you want to earn all by yourself. So you got to start building a team. And that is absolutely the same if you told me whatever your product or service was that you provided, whether you were a manufacturer or you have a sales team, whatever it is, it's the same process. And you're, to, to really absolutely exponentially change your financial picture, you need a team. And so one of the things that I tend to see with entrepreneurs happens all the time uh, in a, across all professions is that they're really good at whatever that product or service is. So in the case of a real estate agent, they're really good at getting people to to, 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 to sign on to their program, to let them represent them. And then they're really good at negotiating. And then they're really good at helping their buyers and their sellers transition. They're great at that. And what, they, what I see time and time again is that what they're good at, that, that, that runs out of steam after a while. And because the bigger their business becomes, that, that skill isn't all that they need. They need to learn how to build a team and then create, and I really, this is probably the most important thing, they need to create a culture that represents who they are at their core. So, so, so it's almost like a like a progression of, you know how they have that, that photo of how like cavemen progress to yes, human yes. beings, right? It's almost like that, right? So they start out as a salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. a, a go-getter type, then they start 
leading a little bit, then, then they become a, a creator because they're, they're kind of a rainmaker at that point, trying to create ads and, and things to get more and more leads. Uh, Absolutely. And, 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 and exactly as you said it, what you see is that to go from, you know, as you leave the cave, as you get larger and larger and more civilized, each new step is a different skill. So what got you out of the cave is not going to be what gets you to stand upright. It's a different skill. So the skill that you have as a salesperson that got me to list my house with you is not the same skill that helps you create and sustain a culture. Totally different skills. So what you may be this, you know, run through brick wall kind of salesperson. That's great. That makes you a great salesperson. Happens to be a really poor quality in terms of building a culture. Because not everybody wants to run through a brick wall. You've got to be able to create a culture that reflects who you are at your core so that your brand doesn't change. But it's got to, it's got to be a very inclusive culture. And you know, I would say that your, your team needs to, you know, if you want to talk about mission and vision stuff, your need, you, you need to create a culture where I can shake any, any member of your team I can wake them up out of a sound sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, what's your mission? And they're going to spit it out to me. All are going to say the same thing. I, you and know, it's, that's interesting. And I know of an agent, and this happened twice. This didn't happen once. This happened twice. I know an agent who built a team, and then the entire team walked out on them in one day. Like, instead of just one person resigning, giving two weeks notice, they all walked out. It was like the, the major F you to her <laughs> And then, like a couple years later, it happened again. But this person was massively successful, making tons of money, selling tons of houses. So clearly, when she got with a client and she zoned in on that client, she was a killer. She was a killer real estate agent. But when it came to that leadership role where her back started straightening out a little bit, uh-huh. Right? It was yeah. an absolute disaster. So what can we learn from you? Like, why do agents, why does that happen? Because I know it happens not just, it just didn't happen to her. I've seen it happen on smaller scales where one or two people leave or, or someone will come work for my team or came from another team and bitch about that other team. Or it, it could be happening, you know, people leave my team and go to another team and bitch about how my team runs sure. or how I run my team. So why does that happen? Why do real estate agents have trouble straightening their back from awesome salesperson, clients love, 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 love them to teams and employees hate, 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 hate them? Well, it's a great question, Pat. And here's the thing. The way you said that, the way you framed the question, it really within that exists the answer. Like you're saying, you know, people will leave my team because that will happen. And sometimes they're going to go to another team and they're going to, they're going to bitch about me. That happens. They may infrequently because that, that isn't necessarily a bad reflection upon you at all. Because if they don't really feel like they're a member, if they don't really take ownership of your culture, they're going to self-select themselves right out of there because everybody else is bought in and they're uncomfortable. They don't feel right. So they're going to leave and go somewhere else. And you know what? They may bitch about it. That's fine. I'll tell you the answer, uh, like a, 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 an answer that I think crosses all industry lines. And it, it really comes from the place of accountability. You describe this woman who builds, built two great teams and they both walked out. I, I had a client years ago who 
the first meeting we had, I, he said, Tom, I'm telling you, the, the biggest problem I've had over the last 12 months, now he, this, is, this is fascinating, the biggest problem I've had over the last 12 months is mistakes that I have made in the hiring process. Mm. Now, again, he didn't say, I've hired a bunch of turds. That's the problem. No, instantly. He took ownership of it, which I love. Yeah, absolutely. He was 100 percent right. Exactly. He was 100 percent right. And when as soon as he said that, I knew this is a great client for me. Right. Because he is accountable. He took ownership, as you said, instantly. It wasn't that he hired bad people. He made bad hiring decisions. Right. And when people make mistakes, it's not their fault. It's that you did a shitty job training them. Absolutely. That was the next piece. You've been reading my mail because that's exactly <laughs> what that. that's the next piece. So, so I, 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 I haven't done a great job of training them. I need your help to change that. So I think the answer lies in uh, something you said earlier. Like when you left the real estate, when you walked away from 300 deals a year, you took a year to learn how to be a coach by going to coaching courses and coaching universities or whatever you did you took a year to learn it and i think ages don't take any time or i don't want to generalize but a lot of agents don't take any time learning how to hire properly and how to manage and lead properly right well yes because again the the skill that made them successful real estate agents is not the same skill they need to hire and sustain a team and a culture. And so what what I mean let's think about it. we we all have seen these agents that come in and they are just a ball of fire. You know, the first day on the job they get their car wrapped in you know all this advertising and they're out there, they're they're on they're they're doing everything they can to promote their business. They're they're working nonstop. They basically have no life. As we all know, that's the beginning of the real estate process is having no life. And so they're out well and then they get good at it. All the things, all the skills that they needed to do that are the wrong skills for building a team. And you said something interesting in the beginning of the real estate process is having no life. <laughs> I mean, that I, I, I agree with you first off, but I think it's profound that you said it, I guess, or interesting yeah. that you well, said it's, it. Well, it's look, take a look at, I mean, take a look at your career. I can look at mine and I know that there weren't enough hours in the day and I was doing everything, absolutely everything. And I'll, I'll tell you actually a story that, that relates to culture and relates actually to this woman that you described. Uh, so I was just going nuts. I really, there, I, I got up in the morning, I got in my car, and I didn't get back. I, of course, my office was in my house because I couldn't afford anything. And I didn't get back home till well after dark. And that was going on for months. And finally, I said, I, I, I got to hire somebody. So I, I hired the first, per, really, I, I called someone. Someone that was a buyer on one of my deals, I said, do you know of anyone that w- would be interested in working as an assistant? And she gave me the name. The first person that walked in the door, I hired. And then I didn't train her. I just said, okay, this is what I need you to do. You sit here, and I'm just going to feed you stuff, and you react, and blah, blah, blah. And she had to figure it out all on her own. And to her credit, she did. And as time went on, I began to take a little bit more control of my life and, and kind of get, because she did such a good job, I had a chance to breathe. And then I, I, said, I realized that she wasn't, I had never told her about who I was as a person and what, what culture I wanted to create here. So 
as I began to take more ownership of the work that she did, uh, she saw that as micromanaging, and I could absolutely understand that. She'd been autonomous for all this time, and now all of a sudden, and she creates all these systems, and I'm saying, well, yeah, but I want my clients to be treated this way, or I want this to happen. So she didn't like it when I told her that I wanted things done a little differently, and it didn't go well. And so uh, I've, I was faced with a choice. I do I, I got to hire somebody else because she's no longer, you know, we aren't paddling in the same direction anymore. She's fighting with me a little bit. And again, take nothing away from her. She did exactly, she survived. She was a survivor. I threw her in the water and she survived the only way she knew how. Unfortunately, it didn't match the culture that I wanted to create. Hmm. So... So how do we avoid that? You know, like how do, how does first of all how does a real estate agent straighten their back? Like what 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 do you recommend? Let's just say go from the first phase. First phase is being you know a, a go getter, okay, uh, someone who's crushing it, someone who's very successful, agent of the month without a team, let's say, and then they want to start building a a real estate team. How can they? learn give me some very specific actionable content like oh yeah. they, they could go on this website or they can read this book or give me give me some exact things well i can tell you what i did in that in that scenario which was i was at that point where okay i'm, I'm going from a one-man band now i'm going to start building my orchestra and so i have this person she's great but she isn't she I, and i'm thinking i can't lose her she is essential to my success so I think, oh, well, I, you know, I've got to, well, I'm faced with two things. I can let her go and, and start the process over again, or I can, because, because she's so essential, I can keep her and then have her train the next person, which is what most of us do. And I had done that in the past, and I wasn't going to let that happen again. So exactly, I can tell you what, what you want to talk about next steps for any agent. This is what I did. I called all of my clients. And I said, look, I, you know, I am committed to giving you the best service I possibly can. And for the next period of time, in this case, it was, I said, two weeks to a month. I'm not going to be able to do that. So what I'd like you to do is during that time, I'm going to give you the names of some agents. Call them. They're really good. I know they'll be able to help you. And when I'm ready to give you the kind of service that I know that I want to be known for, I'll call you back. And if you've developed relationships with these other agents that you don't want to end, I'm okay with that. But if you want more of what I've been giving you for the last year, you'll come back. And I'm just going to trust that that's going to happen. Well, that blew them away. Wait a minute. You're telling me that for the next month, uh, up to the next month, you're, you're not going to, you can't these, these were what? Investors that were buying a lot of houses from you or, or REO clients? These were, these were asset managers in this case. Asset managers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I called them. I had developed, and, and, you know, first of all, they're saying, wow, they had, they hadn't heard, had that conversation before because no one ever called them to do that. But I explained in detail, look, this is what has happened. And they knew, you know, the person that I had hired and they liked her. And I just said, this is, I, I can't build on this foundation. I have to re-dig my foundation. Mm. So, and, so you, did you fire her and hire somebody else? 
Not only yes, I did, and okay. and I didn't have anybody else when I let her go. So what? So about, I, what, what are some things like? What are some things that some some videos that uh, people can watch, or some books they could read or uh, listen to that I, would help I, them straighten that back and that, okay. that evolution? I can tell you a couple books that have one one that I recently read, and one or two that that have just you know, over the last few years really helped me. Uh, one of them is The War of Art. Have you ever heard of that book by Stephen Pressfield? You know, The Art of War, of course, no, I've, I've read. But, yes, yeah. this is The War of Art, and it's all about resistance. Hmm. You know, what we, what, you know, how we deal with resistance. Now, he thinks he does it from a creative perspective, like creative resistance. But I apply resistance to all, you know, all businesses. Um, yeah, and, we, and we I have resistance art, every day. Yeah. Yes, and and you know he calls his, his the book's called the War of Art, and it's interesting that one of the you know famous pop artists of the 20th century, Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol said that business is the purest form of art. So I I think there's a very strong relationship between business and art. So one book I would recommend is is the War of Art. Uh, another one that I just recently read. Uh, is by Brene Brown is called Rising Strong. And that book is all about what do you do after you've fallen flat on your face? Because if you tell me you have never fallen flat on your face, you're either lying or you haven't been doing much. Right. You've been staying staying inside inside. playing video games. Right. Right. We've all had that experience. The most successful people we know have had that experience. So what do you do afterwards? The book is a great, uh, a great, great piece for that. In terms of actual doing real estate, now I'm going to mention two books I know you've heard of. One of them is The One Thing, Gary Keller's book. Excellent book. I give that to, I have a few books that I give at the beginning of the relationship to every one of my clients. And The One Thing is one of those books. Absolutely great book. Another one is, uh, Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning. Have you ever read that? No, oh, yeah. Hal's been on the show about three times. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just a, it's an outstanding book. It's a, you know, I don't, again, I don't care what your industry is. You, that's just a great way to get things started. And then the third one that I recommend to a lot of clients is the compound effect, Darren Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the other thing is I, I've just written a book that addresses this myself. And the, it, it's a book that is per, actually perfectly appropriate for real estate agents because it's really all about, uh, the business of balancing an entrepreneurial life. First of all, we tend to hang together. Uh, we tend to hang in groups of other entrepreneurs. Of course. And if I, I know that if I look in the mirror, and certainly during my more intense entrepreneurial days, time and time again, I see someone who's, whose life is out of balance. At this point, when I work with clients, I work with the, you know, I, I make sure that their spouse has my phone number. Mm. And that their spouse knows is on board with their business. Text me if he's yeah 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 yeah. yeah. That's exactly. great. exactly. That's great because so, I, I I've got it. I've got to deal with. I'm getting one side of the story from my client, but I'm not getting the, the spouse's side or the kid's side. Mm. And you know, frequently, if possible, I meet with the spouse at the beginning. But if that if that isn't realistic, he or she has my phone number and my email address. Wow. And yeah, I love that. I love that because that's, that's, that's a form of accountability, right? Well, I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent. You know, if he says, well, I'm going to do this or she says, I'm going to do this. Well, does your, does your spouse know about this? Does your wife know about it? And yeah, once they I mean, tell them they're highly accountable at that point, you know what really, I mean? Like, like, 
because just like you know, again, what what do entrepreneurs do? Entrepreneurs do. We all are reaching for the next shiny object. So mm. we may have this great business, but we have an idea that's going to just. 10 exit, okay? And so, but, but th there's a commitment that we have to make at work to 10 exit, but then there's that commitment that we may be shirking at home. So the question is, is your spouse on board with this 10 X that you want to do for your business? Because if he or she is not on board, you are toast. Either, either your business is toast or your relationship is toast. One of them is going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know in the past, in my lifetime, I've had 10 X type goals that my wife give two shits about because you know at, at some point you're making enough money that your family is comfortable and everything over that is for you to like save and invest and and do things with and you, you know it's a good chance your spouse doesn't even know about that money or or know where yeah. it is and so it's really for you and not them and they might say nah you know i'd rather have them home than uh him right. make more money at this it's point because we're good, you know? So often it's about your ego and it's not even about how much you need the money. And and I, when I say you, I'm looking in the mirror. I think it's almost, I mean, except for the beginning, you know, except for the first, you know, million. After that, it's it, like you said, it's all ego. Yeah. So, and and your wife is fine already or your, your husband, whoever it is, they're, they're okay with you without you making that next million or two million or 10 million. They want you home. They want you at soccer practice. And if you're not, again, now maybe they don't. Maybe they don't want you home. And if that's the case, great. Go out and do whatever you want. But if you have a marriage that matters to you, and if you have a business that matters to you, they better be working in concert. Because if they're not, one of them is going down. At mm. least one of them is going wow. down. Wow, wow, deep, deep. Well, I think we what we've learned today is, you know, uh, every step of the way, every stage of the way, first of all, we shouldn't assume that one stage equals the next stage because they're all very different and that and that we need help. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's like before I got married, you know, the pastor of the church, you know, sat my wife and I down and said, I have to have eight meetings with you to discuss all these taboo topics. Right. And when mm -hmm. and get these out of the way. And so it's the same sort of thing. Like uh, we needed help before we were married. Most people need help before they become a team leader. Most people need help before they become a manager. Most people need help before they come, before they hire somebody. They need to learn how to. See, Pat, that's, that's perfect. See, your pastor said you need help now before you get married. When do most people go for help? It's after they're married and it's falling apart. Yeah. And that's by then, you know, it, I'm not saying it can't be saved, but that's not the time. The time is when things, you're in love. This is great. Yeah. You're just starting your business. You are so excited just to get up in the morning. That's when you need help. That's when you need a guide, a coach, uh, an accountability partner, whatever it is, whatever. But you need it then, not after the thing blows up. Wow. Not after you all, all of a sudden you say, I can't, if I, one more day of my wife, I can't take it anymore. Right. No, 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 no. Before, when you are just so much in love, that's when he, I, I, he's 100% right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, listen, Tom, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, you've offered some some serious meat and potatoes here for uh, not just real estate agents, but entrepreneurs in general. I'm going to put everything that we talked about and all of Tom's information on hybendigital.com backslash Tom Rubens, R-U-B-E-N-S. And uh, Tom, I'll give you the last word to give us uh, some words of wisdom or anything else you could think of. 
Well, you know what? Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Pat. It's a pleasure. I, I just enjoy being around the energy of other entrepreneurs who are not just doing it, but giving it back. And that's what this show is all about. This is all about you giving back to the real estate community. And, and I honor you for that because we need more of that in, in, in this business and in the world. We need more people that are willing to spend their time giving back. So I guess I would say I, the thing, you know, we, you asked me, you know, what are next steps? What, what can you do? Give me some hardcore do this, don't do that sorts of stuff. And I, I would say to you that for me, one motto that I remind myself of Every day, because I've got my own, you know, I, I got to do this today, and I got, I want to make sure that not only my days, but that my weeks and months are productive. And I just keep reminding myself, particularly, I remind myself as I start to fall down. And what, the, what I remind myself of is, th is this this shit will only work if you work this shit. So whatever I give to you is, I can be the greatest advice, but if you're not working it, it's not going to work. You, we all have to take responsibility and live accountable lives. Otherwise, like that woman you described who grew a great business twice only to have her team leave, clearly she's not leading an accountable life. And she's going to have, until she changes, and I hope by now she has, she's going to have the same problem over and over again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome, Tom. Listen, buddy, thanks so much again for coming on, and hopefully we can connect in the future and break some bread. I look forward to being here, Pat. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this session of Real Estate Rockstars. I'm Pat Hyben, and I appreciate you spending time tuning in for some rock-solid advice. I encourage you to take action on something that you have connected with. These insights, along with goal setting, will help carry you to achieving your destiny. Visit hybendigital.com for resources, how-tos, ebooks, and so much more. Also, reach out to us on Twitter. My handle is at Pat Hyben. And don't forget, Rockstar Nation, keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.